Hey everybody, this is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, and I want to welcome you back for another week, and I want to welcome Renee. Hi. Hello, Renee. How are you? Good. Good to have you. Renee is a psychiatric nurse from the Boston area, and she reached out to me because she is a had started listening to the show. And so she had recently been featured as a a guest on one of our other favorite podcasts that we, I listen to and that we talk about. And Adrian's been on our, our show here before, and I've been on hers, Nursing Uncensored. So I thought, hey, why don't you come on and do a show for us? And so you so graciously yes. accepted, and it's just wonderful to have you. I, I could talk about this stuff all day. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we we have a, in the news story, of course, and we all have a bad, it's a, it is a bad doctor story this week, and then we'll have a good doctor story to f- follow up with that. But so first for our in the news story, what I wanted to talk about this week, we wanted to sort of, with it being January and that time after Christmas, Christmas is depressing enough for some people. Yeah. And then for many people, that time after Christmas is sort of over, it's kind of gloomy. It rains a lot where I am in January. Oh, yeah. No, it's raining right now. Yeah. And it's just a sort of not a very pleasant. It's cold, wet, rainy, dreary. Dark all the time. Yeah, it's dark. It gets dark really early. The leaves are gone off the trees. Oh, yeah. And it just, it's a time where it's sort of seasonal depression is very common. Yeah. And so I thought it would be a good idea to talk about a study that was released back in the summer about nurse suicides being on the rise and how prevalent that is. And we're, we really don't talk about that enough. I remember reading this article too when it came out. It's, it's disturbing. And I think that a lot of the, a lot of the people that listen to this podcast are nursing students and new grads. Mm-hmm. And they're, I'm, I'm going to say that maybe they might be thinking, well, why, why would this be so prevalent? Why would, we, why would this even be an issue? I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking, you know. Yeah, no, I didn't really think about it. I didn't have, we knew it was hard and that like burnout was a thing, mm-hmm. like going through nursing school. But I don't think I remember them talking about suicide rates or anything like that. Well, I think there are some risk factors that you, I'm sure, are aware of when it comes to people who take their own life. And one of those is having a job where you're around trauma that's high stress. You see, you have to see the results of of traumatic events and you see just kind of really depressing things. Yeah. The worst of humanity. It's sort of like the the double-edged sword of being a nurse is like you're good there for the really really good things you're also there for the really really bad things yeah and like balancing that and like coming out okay from a day of that is mm-hmm. not easy yeah so also i think nurses see end of life they depending on the type of nursing that you're, you're doing you a lot of times the, the especially for working in a hospital and they they maybe suffer from certain comorbidities like COPD and congestive heart failure and yep. diabetes. And they kind of start to decline around their 60s usually. Um, and then they start coming in with these exacerbations. And if they don't really take yep. care of themselves and take their medication properly, you see the same thing over and over again. Yeah. And you, especially if you see a bad death and, and you watch someone suffer. And I, I would imagine they might be thinking, I don't ever want to have to suffer that kind of death. Like that way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So they just maybe decide to take things into their own hands instead of yeah. letting nature take its course. Yeah. 
Well, I just thought it would be a really good thing to kind of discuss and keep it out there for people. If you are struggling with this, of course, get some help. And nurses are notorious for putting their own well-being on the back burner. 100%. Yep. Yeah. And it's not, you cannot take care of other people. You can't take care of your family and your, the people around you, and certainly not your patients. If you are not taking care of yourself, it's kind of that put the oxygen mask on yourself before you yeah. put it on your child oh, thing. I say that all the time. Mm-hmm. It's just how it is. You have to do it. Yeah. And another thing I think that nurses struggle with, and I think it is maybe a little worse in the nursing profession, maybe than in uh, in a lot of other professions, is the bullying, the coworker bullying. Oh, yeah. Those toxic relationships of, you know, sometimes people just don't fit in for whatever reason or you're just personalities clash or it's, some people just like to, to pick on the new person or, yep. you know, point out someone's flaws or just illuminate mistakes and yeah you know I remember like I talked about it a little bit on um, Adrian's podcast but like the first job I had as a new grad in a hospital and it was it was just sort of like like it's Mm -hmm. like the people like I got a job at the hospital sort of already knowing that the culture there was like a popular girl in high school kind of culture Mm -hmm. and like I knew that going into it but it was just so like it was just so prevalent and obvious and I was like is this like a real adult work environment I'm working in right now oh that's not that's sad I mean it didn't like they were all great nurses and it wasn't like anybody was being lazy or anything like that it was just the clickiness it doesn't give you any leg up or any sort of benefit in your job to gossip for like 30 minutes of your shift I know I think that some people think maybe that it does help them well the gossiping yeah it can help I think some people that's how they bond or how they make friends is by talking about other people and so if you find a person who you have mutual enemies with or the two of you both dislike the same person then you talk about that and and yeah that does unfortunately that can create a toxic sort of bond and it's not healthy at all and I think also there there are nurses who, and people in general can do this, who just believe that the best way to build themselves up is to tear the people down. Because as they tear the people down, they think that that makes them look more intelligent or like a better nurse yeah. or, you know, by pointing out someone else's mistakes or the way that they do, like if someone didn't know how to, to do something yeah, and then you act like, as though, I can't believe you didn't know how to do that. You know what? Anybody should know how to do this. And uh, basically, that's telling everyone I knew how to do this, and this person didn't. And you think that that's elevating yourself. Yeah. And the thing is, it's not elevating to me. It's not elevating you at all. No. Not in my eyes. I think most people probably, no one wants to be treated that way. Yeah. No. I think the majority of people don't don't enjoy working with nurses like that. Mm-hmm. But I think it. I think it starts in nursing school. I think a lot of mm. it starts in nursing school because it's so competitive. Oh, yeah. And I almost feel like that feeds into, like, just kind of continues into your career because it's it's not like it's a competitive career because there are lots of job opportunities, but there's a lot of some nurses I feel that are like, oh, I have to have the best job at the best hospital and be the best on my floor and stuff like that. And I think it comes from... And it starts in nursing school, mm. honestly. I'm glad you said that because 
there are a lot of nursing students that listen to this podcast. So, and and the thing is, the ones that I have heard from and that that message me, yeah. they're they're not the ones that are that are bullying. I know because right. I can just tell by the things that they they're just yeah. so positive and encouraging. But um, I think it's healthy for them to know that this sort of thing happens. And so, if they're experiencing it, yeah. unfortunately, this is something that can happen. But there's an end to it. Oh, yeah. It will get better. It does, yeah. No, I love the people I work with now. That's awesome. And sometimes you do have to just go somewhere else. It's just, that's just how it has to be. Talk, you know, thinking about the nurse suicide, there was an article a couple of years ago about a woman who was a nurse in the UK and she took her own life. And when they investigated what happened, the investigators basically concluded that it was bullying at work that led her eventually to take her own life. Not that that was, you know, the sole reason, but, you know, there there could have been some other things that that was going on with her, but that was a huge part of it. And I think it's just really important for people to remember that your actions are affecting another human being. Like I, you know, why, why would you want to be mean about something? It's, that doesn't mean that you can't correct someone. That doesn't mean yeah. that you can't bring to their attention maybe a mistake that they've made or it's in, an, in a professional manner help, you know, re-educate or whatever, or even go to a manager if you just, if you really have concerns for their ability to do their job, if you've just con- continued to see them, yeah. you know, one thing after another. We have to r- try to be professionals yeah. and, you know, just... Remember that we we do have patients' lives at stake. So you can't just sweep something under the rug, pretend like it didn't happen, not say anything because you don't want to hurt someone's feelings. There's a balance there. professionalism. Yes, be professional. Definitely bring things up. Bring If you're doing handoff and you notice something that's not correct, you notice the drip running at a wrong rate or an antibiotic that wasn't run because it was clamped or, you know, something like that. Oh, yeah. It's... It's not good. I mean, that patient went, uh, skipped an entire dose of their antibiotics and it needs to be known that they need to get that an, that extra yeah, dose at the end. Care. Of, it's not even right. for any other reason that yeah. these patient care and what was ordered. It's important. Right. We can't just not say anything. That's not the answer to this yeah. problem, but it's certainly not necessary to just bully someone or belittle them or try to make them feel so badly that they go home crying and, you know, upset and hating themselves. And, and if they've already kind of have issues with, you know, struggling with depression and anxiety and and all sorts of other things, you could be the one thing that just help, you know, kind of pushes them over that edge. And I feel like we, we just hold this pride like because we have a license that we kind of hold ourselves to a standard and are very hard on ourselves if we don't, if we feel like we're not me- meeting that standard or if somebody else makes us feel like we're not meeting that standard, that it's just, it's going to wear on you. It's not like a healthy mindset to be in. And don't be, I don't, if you guys are listening and for whatever reason you've caught yourself being the bully or being the person who... Maybe you were just having a bad day, or maybe you're, maybe you your self esteem is not the best, and you it's you don't even realize you're doing it. But maybe after listening to this, you realize that you're doing it. Try to remember how you would feel, or think about how you would feel if you found out that that 
that coworker did take their own life. And yeah. the last thing, you know, that that you remember saying to them was just something awful or the last conversation that you had with them was you were belittling them or you were making them just deliberately trying to make them feel bad for making a mistake or not knowing something. You don't want to have to carry that burden on your shoulders for the rest of your life. It's not worth it, honestly. No. So now that we've solved that problem, (laughs) no, but it's good. I'm glad we had that conversation because I've been meaning to do it for a while. I thought you would be the perfect person to do this, being a mental health professional. Well, I literally, I tell my individuals all the time, I like going to their groups. I like understanding the the methods that like my more psych clinical based coworkers use mm-hmm. of them because I'm like guys this helps me too <laughs> it's not like yes like we have group homes so I'm like yes you might be like in my group home right now but I go home and have things that upset me just like you yeah. have things that upset you not very not different perfect yeah. just because you know all of the things maybe to do and you have all those tools in your arsenal that you can help other people deal with these things, try to help them cope. That doesn't mean that you're good at always using them. No, definitely not. That's like us telling our patients not to eat too much much red meat or too much fat or not. And then it's going to McDonald's and getting a quarter pounder. I mean, it's just, we don't always practice what we preach. We can't, we're not perfect. We try, So yeah, we're all dealing with stuff and life is just hard sometimes, but we got to be there for each other. So we have a pretty interesting bad doctor story who that it ties into this whole subject. I mean, yeah, it's really sad. It ties in directly with mental health issues, with suicidal issues, all of the, all of those things, workplace violence. It's got it all, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. So this story is about Lori DuPont. She was a nurse in Windsor, Ontario, in Canada. And I went and looked, whenever I'm doing these stories, I, if I see, if I don't recognize where the place is, oh, I yeah. like to go and, you know, look at, on the map, like, where where is this exactly? And so those of you who live in Michigan, you know how you always like hold up your hand and you have the mitten. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not, but people who live in Michigan, if you've ever known someone from there, they will hold their hand up and you can see the mitten and they'll go, I live right here in this part of the uh, mitten. And they yeah. show you all the, where, yeah. where they live based on their hand. Yeah. So on this particular Windsor where in, in this hospital where this is, it's if you look if you're kind of um, zoomed out and just kind of looking at the bigger picture and you can see Michigan and Canada and all of the surrounding states around Michigan yeah it it's so close to Detroit oh. that you it looks like it's not even in Canada where oh, this place is okay. it's way down in there near near Detroit Michigan right just across the bridge I don't know if you, if you guys have ever been there there's a, a bridge that you can go over to get to Canada and then there's a tunnel. Yeah, and it's really, it's just pretty close to that tunnel. As, well, at least it looks like it is on the map. Yeah, close enough. <laughs> so at the time that this event happened, Lori was 37. She was a single mother. She had been married and recently had gone through a divorce. And then in late 2002, after she went through the divorce, she moved back home. They moved in with her parents for a little while. She and her daughter, Taylor, and some of her friends said that she was kind of embarrassed about moving back home um, and just kind of feeling depressed 
and withdrawn, just feeling like a failure because her marriage had not worked out and she was having to live with her mom and dad again. And so she wasn't in the maybe the best you know place in her life right. at this time. So she was trying to just focus on her daughter and her new job and kind of poured her, herself into those things. So she started working at a hospital called Windsor's Hotel Du Grace, which means hostel of God. Because I, when I first saw the, the word hotel, I thought, yeah. what a terrible name for a hospital. Nurses are going to hate that. Oh, my God. But that's a name that goes way back, and it just means hostel of God. And so it's, it, it has French origins. But she started working in the PACU, uh, post-anesthesia care unit, and also known as the recovery room right. in, in some hospitals. And she really enjoyed her job. She loved it. She started working on educating herself, getting certifications and that sort of thing so that she could be really good at her job and really, you know, understand everything. It was a very high stress area, though. Surgery, post-surgery, high pressure. And I think that that's probably, I know whenever I have encountered nurses who work in the surgical area, like surgical type nurses who work in surgery or PACU. A lot of times they have a little bit of a, th- a little bit thicker skin yeah. there. They're a little, little edgy. And I, and I think not to say that, you know, I, I certainly don't want to general, I, I always say I don't want to generalize a whole group of people That's and then I end up generalizing a whole yeah. group of people, but it's just, an impression. <laughs> and I feel like they have to be that way. For one thing, it's extremely cold. Yeah, first of all. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's just a high stress area and they, yeah. they just have to be able to handle that stress. You know, they got to be tough. <laughs> so there was an anesthetist working there, Dr. Mark Daniel, and he was married and living with his wife and had two children, but became sort of fixated on Lori. Yeah. She was not exactly returning the attention that he was showing her. He's married with children, still together with his wife, and she wasn't really interested. But he he sort of had this reputation of kind of being, well, of just doing that sort of making advances toward women, okay, yeah. flirting, inappropriate comments, that sort of thing. Yeah. And that's the sort of thing that people working there around, that's what they said, that this was not at all in common for him to do. Yeah. Well, he started sending her gifts and really just pouring on the charm and finally pretty much uh, wore her down Yeah. until she agreed to go out with him. They said that she started feeling kind of sorry for him because he was complaining a lot about his marriage not doing well and how his marriage was falling apart. And so she developed some empathy, Yeah, started being the kind shoulder, you know, to cry on. And that just kind of turned into a relationship. And, you know, she she had just come out of a divorce. She was vulnerable as well. And so he did end up leaving his wife. And... Oh, that's pretty serious. Yes, he did leave his wife. He separated from his wife, but they, they didn't necessarily start the divorce proceedings. Yeah. He just... He just left. Yeah. Yeah. Very escalated the situation. Yeah. So one of her, one of her friends that worked with her said that Dr. Daniel sort of would, he kind of had a a reputation for, he was a nice guy, but he also kind of had a reputation for having a little bit of a temper. So a little bit of a short fuse. 
and uh, unpredictable, quirky, those types of, maybe he would one day be very talkative and the next day withdrawn and... Unstable. Yeah. That was kind of the impression that they they are saying that they had, that his coworkers in general kind of had of him. So her friends find out that they hooked up at a party. She finally kind of breaks down and tells them because, it, of course, they're keeping it a secret at first. Oh, yeah. And they're really shocked because it's not, that sort of behavior is really not typical for Lori. Oh, boy. Yep. Friends will be the first to tell you. Yeah. And so they were kind of like, you know, what are you doing? And she's just basically... Saying, well, they're, they're saying that she was kind of naive and she really didn't know what she was getting herself into. And so her mom even says that a few months before she was ever introduced to Dr. Daniel, she would get calls at home and the person wouldn't say who they were. And she would kind of play it off and just be, oh, that's me I work with. Um, there's some kind of hospital event I have to go to. And she didn't want her to know what oh. was going on. So just a very, it didn't start out very, in a very healthy way. Right. No, not at all. Secretive, you know, starting out secrets, lying to your family. You need to hide from your parents and there's a reason. And that couldn't be easy for Lori. No. Um, she's living with her mom and having to lie to her about who's calling and where she's going and all of this stuff. So the finally they did meet. She brings him home. He's very nervous and talkative. And so the impression that her her sister says that he gave off to them was that he was kind of arrogant and pompous because he, he would just talk about fine wines and talk about all the traveling that he's done and oh. how he collects this and that. And so he just, he's probably in his mind thinking that that's endearing him like to impressive, them. impressive, but really it's just a yeah. turn off. And they're just thinking, well, you're just materialistic and all you care about are possessions. And, yeah. And that is not at all the way they were. And that's really, they said, not the way Lori was either. Uh, she was very down to earth and he just didn't seem like he was. And it was, they really didn't see the connection. Yeah. So one day Daniel shows up. That's, yeah, Dr. Dr. Daniel showed up one day with a new car and it was a silver infinity. And her mom said that he did not understand why they wouldn't be thrilled at him inviting them to drive around in his car around the block. Like, hey, do you want to come and ride around? And they were just kind of like, (laughs) not impressed, you know, like, okay, (laughs) that's the difference in the mindset of of these two types of people. And so he moved. After he had moved out of his family, you know, out from his wife and his children, separated um, from them, moved into an apartment so that he could be closer to Lori, where she lives. And Lori, sister, Lori's sister, Christine, said that he was kind of creepy. She, and, and the whole kinda situation. Vibe, yes. Yeah. And that was the vibe that she got. And him moving into an apartment really close to her. And she said that. The whole situation, their relationship was kind of, was was creepy. That Lori never openly called him her boyfriend. She never said that she loved him. She said she didn't even smile. That's a yeah. I mean, that's a huge red flag. If you if you're with someone and you're in a relationship with someone and you never smile, yeah, it's like that can't be healthy. Especially if you when you're in the early phases uh, of a yeah. relationship, everything is smiles. that's yeah. Yeah, it's only going to go downhill from there. You don't so I share would... <laughs> laundry or dishes yet. It's all smiles. It should be. Yeah. It really should be. 
And she said that um, Lori was just the kind of person that everyone wanted to get to know, have as a friend. She was not non-judgmental, always smiling. She She's the kind of nurse I can imagine that would be pleasant to give report yeah. to, you know. <laughs> yeah, sounds like, a, yeah, no, sounds like someone that's good to work with. Yes. So everyone that knew Dr. Daniel and knew his family said that they were very well-respected, very nice family, good family, excellent reputation. And when Daniel was growing up that, um, or when Dr. Daniel was growing up, that the that their family was um, just very good people, always just doing good things. And so just not at all the kind of people, I don't know, it just sort of, when I read that, I was kind of reading the account of his childhood and his family. I didn't feel like it really went along with the personality that yeah. was being portrayed by friends and family of Lori, you know? Yeah, no. It it's almost really... like he was becoming a different person it's than like maybe a, how he... Um, I don't want to say borderline, but... Yeah, but something was definitely yeah. different maybe from what his friends and family knew of him growing up. Sounds like, he, like even you're a doctor. Mm-hmm. That's respectable. You don't need to flash anything Right. Else. One of his coworkers described him as very complex, a very complex person, extremely intelligent, of course, uh, yeah. impeccable clinical care. So, you know, that's, that's, that's definitely something good. Yeah. Usually cordial and courteous, charming, could be charming and, and have a, a sense of humor, could be warm and generous. But then there's also this dark side yeah. where he would become introverted mm. and withdrawn. So definitely a complex person. Stuff's so interesting to me. Personality is so interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Probably why I work in psych. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, he did, some Some of his coworkers said he did like to have his way and would lose his temper from time to time in surgery. Yeah. So, but what they said is that that's not exactly uncommon to happen, not. you know? Yeah. And so it's not like that's isolated to him. It's not like he's alone when it comes to... <laughs> That behavior, no. Being like that in, in that environment because of the pressure that's that's in the OR. So that wasn't necessarily something that was a huge red flag. So all of this is going on. You have you have Mark leaving his family, becoming you know, infatuated with this nurse at, uh, at work, leaving his family, moving into an apartment near where she lives. You have Lori kind of in a vulnerable situation, living at home with her little girl. She's working, loving her job. So at at some point, she decides she wants to buy a house for her and Taylor to move into. Then this house, uh, it's a overlook, the entrance overlook the Detroit Detroit River. And the backyard connected to her parents' property. So it sounds like it would have just been... And a lovely place and really convenient for her, you know, for her daughter to be able to be near their grandparents yeah. and her to be able to be near her mom and dad. And so she starts trying to bid on this house and there were other bids for it. Yeah. And so the price started going up oh. and she really wanted this house bad. So Dr. Daniel stepped in to save the day. 
Great. And mm-hmm. and he said that he would take the place of the banker. So he actually, the purchase price was $235,000 and he contributed $185,000. Oh. But the house is registered in Lori's name. Oh, good. Yeah. And it was hers and Taylor's, not, not, not Mark's. Not for him to live in, no. Right. So at some point, but the, but he did move in and they were living together. Okay, yeah. And at some point, she attempts to break up with him, and he would sort of, he sort of started this thing that sometimes, unfortunately, people do when they get desperate and they don't want someone to break up with them, and he started threatening to commit suicide, and then she would take him back, and it became this cycle of her wanting to separate from him, trying to break up with him, him becoming suicidal and telling her you know, that he was going to take his life and then she would take him back. And it, and this happened so many times. They that, oh, Some of her friends said they lost count after like oh, the fifth man. time. Yeah. Yeah. That's not uncommon either. Mm. So it seemed like she was just trapped. Yeah. She was trapped in this relationship she didn't really want to be in, but she didn't know how to get out of because she didn't, I'm sure she didn't want to feel responsible for yeah. him doing that. And she was probably afraid as well. It's so tough when people put that like, oh, if you do X, Y, or Z, like I'll kill myself. Or yeah. I've seen people say like, oh, I'll overdose. Like, it's mm. your fault if I go out and overdose right now. And oh, like, it's, I mean, they're they're doing it out of like a reaction. Mm-hmm. But it's still, it's just like, that's not, you can't put that on it's very other sad. people. It's not good for either person's mental health Mm -hmm. because you're just blaming and then this other person now feels guilty you just brought somebody in this with you now it's just it's so manipulative and it's not helpful for anyone it's not healthy at all and yet this person is desperate and they can't see it's like they can't see beyond this relationship they can't see being out of ever living without having this relationship and that's well, so sad intertwine like money and property mm-hmm. and yeah you work at the same place they still work at the same place yeah and i think also the fact that he had left his wife and yeah. children for her probably made him even more desperate to have it work yeah. because i left my wife and children for you you know yeah. that's and maybe in his mind what he's thinking yeah which is I mean, it's it's what you get, but that's an upsetting thought too. Like, I just I have uprooted everything, and now you're uprooting everything on me, and it's like, what do I do? Oh yeah. Well, he ended up filing some sort of a legal dispute over this house after they they did break up, oh. and they were going through the court system. And there's one document that was filed during this whole dispute. I guess he's giving a statement and he insisted that he had not threatened self-harm over the, over the issue of them living together. He denied that that ever happened. And he just said that they had discussions about what would be more beneficial to Taylor as far as him, you know, living there or not. So he, he just denied that he did. Yeah. Denied everything. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's, he said eventually they agreed at first that he would move in. And then she said that 
and 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 I guess he he probably was you know, with that back and forth thing. Yeah, you know when it comes to the house, because he's not wanting to leave, and so the house is in her name, but he paid for it. I mean, this is yeah. just complicated. So right. so incredibly complicated. Oh, how does that? I wouldn't even know how to work that out legally. I have no. I don't know either because he he would purchase appliances for the home. He shared in costs of running the household. Right. And so it's kind of hard to to untangle and uh, yourself yeah. in the situation, especially because, you know, he has a lot more resources being a physician yeah. than she does being a nurse as far as income goes. Yeah, exactly. Oh, poor kid. Yeah, I know. So some of her friends said that Lori seemed to kind of be oblivious to how he was as far as his personality goes. So at one point when they first moved into the house, kind of going back, this friend says that if you walked into this house and saw how it was set up, you could literally tell what Mark had done and what Lori had done because they were so drastically different. They're just everything about themselves. And so she said that whenever she and her, this particular friend said when she and her husband left that house, she immediately said to him, something is wrong. Something is way off. Oh. And mm-hmm. then about four months after they moved into that same house together, they had a little birthday party for Lori. It's like just close friends and family. Yeah. And they're sitting there and Mark starts trying to like slide this little gift over to her. And she's trying to pretend like she doesn't see it. And it's really awkward. And then finally, she has to acknowledge its presence. And when she opens it up, it's a ring. And he asks her to marry him. Oh, my God. In front of people. Yes. In front of her closest friends and family. Yeah. So later on, Daniel makes sure that everybody there knows that he paid like $10,000 for that ring. That's not a conversation. It's a conversation you have like a month later when you're like, do I need to insure this? Mm-hmm. It's not a, oh, we're married. And the ring was worth this much. Like. Yeah, and it's just, it goes back to his mentality of material things being the most important thing. And that somehow that shows your importance or how much you love someone. It's really, I mean, the ring is nice, but it's not at all about the ring. It just sort of seemed like he wanted to give her a nice present. Yeah. Well, her daughter Taylor was seven years old at the time. And the friend said that Taylor just got up and ran away from the table when this happened. So, you know, she wasn't happy about it. You know, they're all living together at this point. And Taylor had, she did not have, you know, really good experiences with Mark because he wouldn't let, they had a little dog that they had rescued. And apparently it slept with with, um, Lori in the master bedroom. And then when he moved in, he would not let the dog sleep in there anymore. And Taylor, every morning, would come in and, like, jump on the bed <laughs> in her mom's room, you know, kind of, yeah. like, saying good morning. And he put a stop to that and would not let her do that. Huh? And so it just not, no. she wasn't a fan. She just wasn't I a fan. Either. So when all this is going on, while he is uh, pr- proposing to Lori, he's still married to his wife. And not only are they still married... They had not even filed for divorce or begun any sort of process of divorcing whatsoever. There's no evidence at all that anything had ever been done. 
And his yeah. proposing marriage and buying a $10,000 ring is just... It doesn't add up. So Lori's trying to hide this engagement from everyone. <sighs> She's embarrassed about it. Again, totally unhealthy. Yeah, you want to like scream it. And, why, and you just have to wonder in the situation, why? Why was she so drawn to him? Why was she... Why did she feel like she had to stay with him? Or why did she... Yeah. Why did she agree to be engaged? Or at least I mean, if she felt pressure to say yes in front of her family, why not, you know, go back? But, yeah. Like, when they leave, be like, just kidding. Yeah. No. That one of her friends said that they never saw that ring on her hand after the engagement. They they never saw it. Another friend said that she would wear it sometimes, but she would fold her hand, her other hand over it and turn the jewel part Ugh. to the inside. So you could just yeah, kind of, yeah. Because yeah. she's embarrassed by it. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's it's just a horrible situation and really hard to understand. I was like, yes, I'm engaged to a married guy, but that's not a married guy that people don't seem to like. So, well, it just seems like she was conflicted about yeah. the relationship, and especially the the on again, off again thing. Yeah. You know, the the breaking up and getting back together, and then of course, eventually, she did break up with him for for good. She and. So they had broken up. She's still working there. And on November the 12th in 2005, Mark called his wife, who now he's living with again because he had moved back in with his wife and children. And he said, (laughs) yeah, so he calls his wife on this day and he says, I killed her. I'm going to kill myself now. And that was what he said to her. And he did not even say who he was talking about, but his wife said, I knew who he was talking about. I did not have to ask him. He had walked into the hospital just moments before that with a bayonet-type weapon and stabbed her several times while she was in the recovery room working. Yeah, her coworkers tried to save her, but she lost too much blood too fast. And so she unfortunately died. And after he got off the phone with his wife, he went to his car and injected himself with a lethal dose of some sort of anesthetic, anesthesia-type medicine. And security found him and rushed him to the hospital, and then he later died. He never regained consciousness after that. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. You know, <sighs> this sort of thing, and the thing is, while their relationship was going on and then toward the end of it, Lori had complained about him harassing her at work when they were broken up, and other coworkers had complained about it as well. And they said that he was making threats and saying very inappropriate things, saying things like, I hate all of you. You know, he would just kind of go off and yeah. and become like enraged. Enraged sure. and say, Oh, I, if I could just take all of you down, I would, and things like that. All of his coworkers, not just her. How but is he still in the work setting? Exactly. How is he still there? Well, the Ontario Nurses Association, ever since this happened, has worked to bring awareness yeah. and to try to change what uh, to try to change the way that hospitals respond to situations like this because the fact that Lori and other coworker her coworkers had complained multiple times about him and had given very specific things that had happened at work they didn't do anything about it and they said that it's a personal matter oh. and that it was a domestic violence issue and not something for them to do anything about and so they wouldn't they didn't get the one to get involved in it and their thing, and she even had petitioned for um, a restraining order against him. Oh. And they were in the process of, he was about to have to go through this whole investigation yeah. 
you know, he was he was looking that square in the eye uh, when all this happened. Yeah. And I, I think he was probably feeling backed into a corner, but it just it blows my mind because of like I think partially because of the field that I work in where we're all very, very mm-hmm. careful about what we say. Yeah. Not only for like each other, but for like our, our patients, obviously. But it's just like mm-hmm. nothing even close to the stuff that he seemed to have been saying would be tolerant of where I where I work right now. Like, oh, yeah. not, like you can't you you just have to watch what you say and, and people people are other people are watching and our management tends to respond because if you're you know if he's having that behavior with a coworker, personal or not how is he behaving with a patient well like, I think what a lot of the nurses said have said over the years that since yeah. this happened is that it's the culture of the physicians and their status at the hospital and oh. how they, yeah. And so it makes it really difficult to do anything about it because they, if someone complains about them and the hospital really does want to get, have them lose their privileges. And this is in Canada. Oh. It's not in the U.S. And I, I don't know how, how that changes things, right? Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. But they're for sure that they, they have said, the nurses have said that it's because of this culture, they're afraid to even say anything or complain because they feel like, they're just going to bring more trouble on themselves if they say something about it. Yeah. I mean, I've been in, like, like the situation I noted earlier where I said that I had like, reported somebody for like a bad error on that same job. I had reported somebody for like an inappropriate comment they had made. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting there, I was like mm-hmm. for like 24 hours before I did it. Like, do I want to do this? Like, do I want to start? Like, yeah, you think about it. And you read up on your like work policies about like, retaliation attempts and stuff like that, if you honestly have to sit there and consider it. Yeah. Which is unfortunate because you should just be able to say, this may be uncomfortable. Well, yeah, you would think that if multiple people, because someone, people can make false accusations and they can misinterpret things that are said. And so things can happen and you don't want to be the one that causes someone to lose their job. But if you don't say anything, if something happens and you don't say anything, that happens over and over again and all of the stuff is going on, then something eventually happens like this. The result is that all of these different people are going to just feel terrible yeah. that they didn't just step up and say something yeah. because who knows what might have happened. But in this case, they did try. There were several people that tried to say something and it was just, it's such a, yeah. I guess such a process to try to get anything done in particular pertaining to physicians in this particular yeah. area that it did unfortunately it didn't do Lori any good oh but I wonder I mean he worked there and he like this mm-hmm. is something that my dad always brings up about my job because I come out in the community and he's like what if you walked into somebody's house and they have a gun and I'm like yeah. I run I'm like, they train you also on situations like that. Yeah. So like, that's also very prevalent in hospitals because you can basically walk into a hospital with whatever it's on your back and nobody, it's such a hustle bustle place that nobody knows what, every, mm-hmm. what anybody else is doing or there for. Mm-hmm. So nobody really questions you to get up to like a certain point, like up to like a pain. You can walk up into almost any patient's room if you really think yeah. about it, depending on the hospital. But it's like... Right. Oh. Yeah, and this could have 
happened even if they had early on done yeah. something to try to sever ties with him and he wasn't allowed to come back to the hospital. Obviously, that still could have happened. What some people were saying is that the long-term continued exposure to yeah. Lori that Mark had, working yeah. with her directly like that, it just caused it, it just caused that whole situation to fester yeah. and it got worse and worse over time. And what they were thinking is that if that had been dealt with from the beginning when it, when that behavior first yeah. started and they saw and heard the inappropriate comments and and were told more you know several times from different people if they had done something to sort of intervene and and sever ties with him or not allow him to work at least not allow them to work right. together to where they were not you know something like that some way of addressing it that they think or some it's someone's opinion that it's possible it could yeah. have helped because it's just that continued exposure to someone that yeah. just causes can, more strife and more bad well, feelings. That's part of the fear that people have in leaving relationships like that is if they're still going to see them or because these people tend to get so intertwined with your life where you're like, we have the same friends. We have the same yeah. coffee place. We have the same grocery yeah. store. Like, we have the same everything. Like I've been there sort of like turned around after a breakup and I was like, oh, every single part of my life was attached to this person, which is how it happens. Not entirely yeah. like the unhealthy aspect. It's just the part that makes it harder to to leave. Right. Well, it's just an unfortunate yeah. story, but certainly one that it we... It sounds like it got the, the Nurses Association, like sort of picked it up as a mission. And I think that, that her mom had done a couple of interviews. She said that she didn't want to do any more interviews after this last one, but she wanted to do this interview with that the, the Ontario Nurses Association, they kind of did this little documentary. Oh. And she said that she just wanted to help uh, bring awareness and maybe try to bring about some change so that Lori's death could at yeah, least... Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, just have some sort of good result for yeah. from it. So that's our yeah. bad doctor story. And then we have a good doctor story that's kind of neat. It doesn't have to do with mental health, but it's still, yeah. I thought it was just such a cool story. So there is a North Carolina doctor who saved the life of an astronaut at a space station who was suffering from a blood clot. I thought that was so cool. He said he, <laughs> isn't that neat? Dr. Stephen Mull from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, he said that He'd always been uh, fascinated. I mean, the typical, you know, little boy, he'd, you know, always been fascinated with astronauts. And, of course, he wanted to be an astronaut and, and, and all of that stuff. And so whenever they called him, he was just kind of like yeah. freaking out a little bit. <laughs> and so, but they called him to because he had written some papers on the subject and he was pretty much considered an expert yeah. on the subject. So... They called him to get his advice of how to treat this this astronaut at the space station who has a blood clot. Isn't that neat? Space nursing. Funny. I know, space nursing. That'll be the next thing. <laughs> well, my son says that we're there that people will be taking trips for on vacations to Mars within the next Right, but that's what I don't they know. were saying to us in nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, and it still hasn't happened. And he was born. Yeah, he was born in 1999. So, <laughs> oh, that's and it ain't happened yet. 
<laughs> they said, though, that he developed a blood clot in his jugular vein. Yes. Dangerous. And that they they called him and he couldn't um, decide exactly. It wasn't exactly right. a no-brainer for him because it's different. You know, blood thinners are the way we're going to yeah. treat that here on Earth. But, yeah, you got zero, zero gravity. What's going to happen if they administer blood thinners there? So he said he weighed the risk benefits of starting the blood thinners or not using blood thinners. And then the team agreed that they would go ahead and put him on blood thinners. And Dr. Mole directed the exact dosage. And they said that they only had a limited supply. And I, it doesn't say what it is. I mean, I'm... Heparin? Yeah, heparin is the first one that comes to my mind. I would assume. Uh, so they said that Dr. Mall was even able to get a phone call from the patient um, at the International Space Station, which I'm sure he thought was really cool. He said, my wife picked up and it was the International Space Station and she handed the phone to me saying, there's someone from outer space who wants to talk to you. <laughs> we could do that. Well, my mind. But yet, I can't get service in my bedroom. <laughs> exactly. What is going on? <laughs> uh, but the article says that the astronaut is now back on Earth and oh, he's doing well. That's so, so cool. I love I know. that no part of me actually wanted to join the military or army, but a small part of me always wanted to be an army nurse. But I didn't actually oh, yeah? want to join the army. <laughs> <laughs> There's just no way to get around that. <laughs> the, the, the unique stuff you see. That's the cool stuff you see. Mm-hmm. All the different. I do want to do. I have a friend of mine that like her parents own a company in Ghana, and they do like medical missions mm-hmm. out to the hospitals in Ghana, uh-huh. and they send like nurses and doctors from the U.S. I was like, that would be something I would. That know. does sound cool. I like it. And um, working like anything that you, any type of nursing that's not in the hospital is always like, interesting to me. Mm-hmm. There's nurses like absolutely everywhere you wouldn't even think uh, i met a concierge nurse a couple years ago oh yeah she was basically really? i don't really know what it meant <laughs> but i think i looked it up and it was basically like you're a nurse on call for like families that could afford to do that yeah i or you take um like if somebody like if there's like a perhaps a wealthy family or something goes on like a vacation and they have somebody that requires like ongoing medical and you can go with them on vacation. Oh my. <laughs> what a yeah. job. I was like, oh, never heard of that before. <laughs> <laughs> I had never heard of that either. That's cool though. Well, I guess that wraps up another episode. Thank you so much, Renee, for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. It was so much fun. Well, uh, you are also on Instagram. Do you want to tell people where they can find you on Instagram? Yeah, it's not my name. It's like something I came up with when I was like a teenager. So every time I read it off, I'm like, <laughs> it's a little piece of insane on Instagram. That's basically all I use. All right. A little piece of insane. And that's your Instagram account. Talk to me. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you. Yes, you're welcome. Well, you guys know, of course, you can find me at Good Nurse, Bad Nurse on 
Instagram and GNBN Podcast on Facebook. You can go to www. And Mark always tells me not to say www. And I'm doing it anyway. But you can go to goodnursebadnurse.com. That's our website. And our episodes are there. You can listen there if you don't have an app that you can listen to. Um, you can also reach us there through uh, email uh, at Tina at goodnursebadnurse.com or feedback at goodnursebadnurse.com. So just send us your stories or your feedback or, and especially this episode in particular may have struck some chords with some people. And if, if I said anything offensive, I really apologize. Oh, no, this stuff happens. We step in, you know, I step in it sometimes opening my big mouth and I really apologize if I did, but uh, you send me a message. Let me know. I'll, I'll, uh, I want to be corrected. Be nice, though. You guys always are. I don't need to tell you that. <laughs> and I want to remind you guys that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse. Mm-hmm.